Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Having a weak bladder is nothing to be ashamed of. And I'm here to tell you there is help. Jude supplements are natural, backed by science and approved by doctors. They were co-created with real women and are clinically proven to reduce leaks by 79%. Jude supplements contain a blend of pumpkin seed extract and soy germ extract, two very simple yet highly effective natural ingredients. Are you ready to start your 12-week course? Go to www.wearejude.com and you can receive 10% off with the code the happy vagina 10. That's www.wearejude.com. Welcome to the Happy Vagina, a podcast dedicated to celebrating pioneers in the female space who made a difference in women's health, equality, and relationships. Each week, we chat to an inspiring human being as they explore the experiences that completely changed their outlook, promising not only to educate, but also to entertain and enlighten. And this week on the Happy Vagina podcast, we are joined in no particular order by actress, mother, political activist, award-winning singer-songwriter and platinum album-selling Paloma Faith. Paloma, welcome to the Happy Vagina podcast. Thank you. Hi. Hello. Welcome, welcome. Paloma, you've been on my hit list since I started the podcast two years ago, and I invited you to come on, like, on the first season, because I'd found out that you were making this amazing documentary about motherhood, and it almost happened, and then it didn't. And I'm so thrilled that actually it's happening today because so much has happened in your life in that period of time that I feel like we've got so many topics to discuss today but before we get on to them I am going to start with our completely binary fun quiz desert island vaginas is that okay with you yes okay great <laughs> how are you feeling today I'm all right I'm always a bit flustered because I'm i got this weird thing that I think that I'm a superhero and I can stretch time and I actually can't but um (laughs) I do think that with time sometimes I think a minute feels like an hour and an hour feels like a minute and so it's quite difficult for me also to work out how much I can get done in an hour because sometimes I can get loads done in an hour yeah and sometimes you're useless in an hour Absolutely useless. Yeah. Well, we're really grateful for you joining us. And as I just said, we are going to start with Desert Island Vaginas. And this is just an either or quick quiz to get us into the vagina mood. Okay. Question one, brief or G-string? Brief. Always? Has it always been like 100%. I don't, even the image of the chafing of the G-string and the rubbing is like making me feel some sort of way. I'm literally like so shocked by this, Paloma, because the jumpsuits that you wear on stage 
Are you wearing a brief under that or are you commando? I'm usually wearing a no VPL brief. And I do know about you that as you were grafting your way to where you are today, ongoingly grafting, you used to dance at the, I'm going to say the torture garden, but it's not the torture, was it the torture garden? Torture garden was, when you were- yeah, but not dance. I did cabaret shows at that, yeah. And when you were doing those shows, you were still wearing a big pant? Always a big pant. Not a G-string. But it wasn't, my shows weren't sexy, they were really weird. So it's sort of irrelevant about my underwear because I was covered in either head to toe in hair or some sort of prosthetic, I don't know. My stuff was more performance art. It was performance art. And now when you're on set doing Pennyworth, which is your latest, you know, major acting role, are you wearing a brief rather than a G-string? I'm always wearing a brief, Mika. (laughs) I've never not been wearing a brief. I'm like, I'm, I'm so, I'm like literally, because I absolutely thought that you were going to say G-string. I'm like <laughs> trying to work out whether or not actually I'm right and you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. Uh, tampon or menstrual cup? Neither. I'm still old school 90s sanitary towels. Are you? Yeah. And have you gone kind of quite organic and yeah, sort of like eco? Because I know it's one of your major things. Yeah, all cotton, like biodegradable vibes. But I don't like tampons. And I'll tell you why. Because my flow is so unpredictable that if you try and pull it out and it's not been that full on, it can really hurt. So I just avoid mm. that. So I just like do sanitary towels. I actually yeah, use. I've had that sometimes. I actually use um, the ones that are postpartum ones because they're, for some reason, like more cottony and more bio, like biodegradable. Mm, mm. And you haven't got into the ones that you can like reuse the washing out ones at all. It's quite big at the moment, isn't it? No, I'm not that great. I'm not. I can't do that either. I've got a bit of it. I'm I'm into periods, but I've got a thing about blood. Okay, next question. Clitoral or G-spot? I think I've had more success with the clitoris. It's harder to find the G-spot, but, I mean, it's great. I don't even know if I ever found it. Maybe I have. Who knows? (laughs) But I like both. Yeah, both would be great. At the same time, time. yeah. Yes, yes. Blended orgasms. Me too. Mm -hmm. Morning or nighttime sex? With, With yourself or with a partner? When is it? Where, I'm really interested in when your libido comes through. My libido is three or four p.m. Ah. But obviously, I've got two children and five careers, so it's very unlikely that I get that. <laughs> <laughs> just for people that don't know you, can you just let everybody know what the five careers are? Um, well, music, acting. I'm writing a book, doing an interiors range called Paloma Home. That is, and I've got um, collection of buggies. But I'm always on the lookout for more things. So one of the things that drives me absolutely nuts is because like you, I have a, a kind of multifaceted portfolio of a career. And quite often people say to me, you know, are you doing too much or do you want to concentrate on one thing or or what would you choose? Which is your favourite? That's an annoying question. Recently, I was on a date. I was on a date with someone, and he said, "What's your backup plan?" And I was like, "I'm in it. I'm doing my backup plan times four, and the original plan." (laughs) I'm telling you, my dad. (laughs) 
<laughs> All right, Dad. No, I haven't got one. This is it. But um, and it really drives me nuts because I put money on it that no one ever said that to Will Smith when he was doing the Fresh Prince of Bel Air <laughs> and then said he was always doing music and then wanted to go and do that. It's definitely a bit of misogyny, in it, I think. Anyway, final final question for you: Truth or beauty? Um, and it's a desert island vagina question, so you can only take one of them. Well, my first album was called Do You Want the Truth or Something Beautiful? And I think beauty. That's interesting. Really interesting. Especially because I'd say one of the things that's been a conversation for you within your career is that you, what, what it felt like was that at a stage in your career when you wanted more truth, your label or your management team were kind of like moving you. This is your musical career, just to <laughs> make sure everyone's on the same page as us. They were trying to move you away from, let's say, being more political into something more commercial, which potentially could sit in the beauty camp, or does it? Does, does truth sit in the beauty camp? I think... Um... <laughs> Both, but when I said that, I meant sort of like uh, I tend to feel like for me the story is the most important thing. So I tried to live my life like that. So I tried to make every day kind of exciting, even if it's mundane. So like I'm not too worried about fact. The reason why I say beauty is because like my mum's always berating me. She's always like, "That wasn't right. You told that." person in that interview this thing and it's like and she's like you embellish the truth and it's like yeah but the story is the most important thing isn't the story more entertaining more dreamy like who cares and who's who knows what's truth and what's beauty anyway so I, I answered it from that perspective I guess more of an existential perspective than like a literal you know I think if it was literal I'd probably say truth but but I would say that like in an existential way, I really believe that, like, I want to, you know, I don't want to, like, die and my, my, my life story be just loads of really harsh facts. I'd like it to be a bit mad and a bit of a magic carpet ride. And, and it's, and I mean, it certainly is. Your mum, you just mentioned, who potentially occasionally berates you for not being honest enough. Also, in your fantastic documentary, which don't believe is live at the moment but that doesn't mean it won't be when this goes out we will put a link in the in the notes underneath the podcast uh it was with the bbc but in it you read texts that your mum sends sends you which are so you know your your mother is one of your biggest fans isn't she yeah but not for the reason that other people would think so she's not that proud of like commercial success or for my forward facing but if that's a word but she is you know she's a big fan or I guess I'm not I don't know about fan I reckon most I don't know biggest project <laughs> she's constantly you know like on me trying to advise and trying to like be part of my decision making I actually just interviewed her this morning for my own book and it was interesting because I've not really, I think when you're old, when you get into sort of later life, you don't necessarily just sit and ask your mum direct questions anymore. You sort of bustle about each other. But I did for my book and I found it really enlightening and interesting about how she viewed me. I asked her stuff for the book about, you know, what, what her biggest anxieties were and stuff. 
what she was what she thought and the most of it was all just yeah it's like interesting because I think she's not she's not necessarily proud she says that in the documentary but I think she's just always worried our parents do worry don't they I mean it is good that you've done that I think one of the things that in in the in the piece of work that I'm writing at the moment is I'm doing lists of questions that I would have asked my mum. And so I think it's really beautiful. And regardless of whether or not you're writing a book like you are, you know, people listening, if your mum, you know, if you're if you're if you're 15, perhaps you don't want to do that quite yet. But I think as you get older, I would recommend every single human being ask their parents the questions that they would probably like to ask them. And I am just writing a book at the moment myself and I'm having to make up the answers that my mum would tell me, which is kind of fun and actually potentially more, more um, you know, it's, 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 good to, it's good for me to be able to make up all the nice things that she'd say. You are, you know, you've already touched on how hard you work, your multiple careers, you're a grafter. Would you call yourself a hustler? Definitely. My nickname used to be the Bosher because even before I had a career, I just... Was the sort I've never really believed that I understood the word no, which I think is kind of a blessing and a curse. But if someone says no, I'm just like, that's not a no, that's not a definitive no. It just means that I've got to try a different way. And one of the things that we're going to come to talk about, which you're so vocal about, is motherhood. But you, you, your, your mum and dad were both around. They separated when you were quite young, but you were raised an only child. There were lots of cousins around. Do you ever feel like being an only child has impacted that hustle that you've got? Like, do you think that kind of needing to do things on your own when you were little then gave you that that kind of chutzpah, that thinking, that like, how can I get, how can I, how do I do this on my own to make it happen? Yeah, I do think so. I think... Really what it's what it did was because I was an only child to a very hard working mum, career obsessed mum, I had a lot of time where I just had to occupy myself and I had loads of extracurricular activities because that was how she managed for childcare. Yeah, I would say like I'm used to being very busy and I'm used to being self-sufficient in terms of like how to occupy my time. I was raised to believe that boredom is the modern word. So I've never been bored. I don't get bored. If I do, it's very brief and I take responsibility for that. I just do something to make it not that. And that's across the board. Like if I'm in a situation where, you know, the conversation's rubbish, I just start saying really sensationalist stuff to make it a bit weird. <laughs> just find the entertainment somehow. Mm. To rock the boat. Would you mm. can, would you describe yourself as an anarchist? Not really. With a small A, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, some of your colleagues have described you as being, you know, the work, the hardest working person they've ever, ever worked with. In your documentary, it starts before the pandemic and then towards the end of it, or whatever order you shot it in, it's about your experience and you you talk about somehow or other really seeing very clearly that your happiness or your your confidence perhaps was quite dependent on the affirmation that as performers we get back from 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 a crowd since that point 
has that changed? Like, so there's this moment where it felt like you were, that you knew it, but you were feeling it. Like you've always known that. We all, we know that as performers, we know that, that there's a, a deal that's being done in terms of our esteem being not propped up, but supported by this. Well, I think it's, I actually think it's a kind of a, a sort of a divine output. You know, we're also like, expending ourselves and sharing our creative juices with people and then they affirm it so it's not I don't think it's necessarily just a kind of like crass oh I get my egos boosted but since that point when you realized that did you have you done work on it to kind of like try and work out how to unpick it and untangle it or have you just gone back to work and to get more (laughs) let's just get back on the road well, I did do that. I did go back on the road and I did find it like exhilarating and amazing. And I think I the first what time going on tour back after the pandemic, which isn't in the documentary, I think that I did have like a little bit of a crop, like a breakdown because I was so exhilarated. I was so like satiated that I fell into it in this it was very intoxicating and I found that very emotionally distracting because of obviously not doing it for so long and I realized that I'm an addict to it and that feeling but I've recently started a form of therapy that's really interesting called cat therapy cognitive analytic therapy and I haven't completed it yet it's only 16 weeks um, or it can be up to 24, but generally it's 16 weeks. And that's quite in-depth. And what um, a lot of that's about is like your relationship with yourself. So it's about um, being validated by your inner self, which I'm not very good at. I, I think that I'm naturally prone to being quite hard on myself. And I guess I just wrote I, I wrote a song the other day called I Am Enough. And I don't really, when I sing it, I don't really... Um, think it's true but I'm trying to convince myself (laughs) but I think that's the work that I need to do that I'm in the process of focusing on because cat therapy is generally about relationships and the one that you naturally overlook when people talk about relationships is the one with yourself you kind of think oh I'm doing loads of work on relationships and then the therapist was like yeah but what about the one you have with you and I was like Well, we don't think of it as a relationship. No, but it it's is. kind of just there. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's actually it probably is. the most important one you'll ever have in your life. So mm. that's mm. sort of uh, difficult to come to terms with, though, if you're used to not thinking that way. We're going to take a short break. Before we do, I just want to let you know that this podcast is produced by the female-founded production company Pineapple Audio Production. Pineapple create groundbreaking podcasts from concept through to your headphones at the very highest level of audio. Their international team support independent podcasts like mine, The Happy Vagina, as well as major brands like the BBC and Grazia. And they are super passionate about helping young people into the audio industry. To find out more, go to pineappleaudioproduction.com or check them out on Instagram at pineappleaudioproduction. Say goodbye to intimate skin irritations and discomfort with Oomph by Quana. Oomph by Quana is the UK's first all-natural water-based lubricant that is enriched with CBD and prebiotics designed to enhance blood flow and pleasure while maintaining a healthy vaginal microflora. Oomph sets itself apart from the rest with its gynecologist-developed formula made right here in the UK. It's pH-balanced, 
free from harmful ingredients and loved by customers who have reported fewer infections and irritations compared to using conventional lubricants. Try Oomph today and feel the difference for yourself. Visit their website, www.byquana.com and use our code, thehappyvagina20, to get 20% off. That's www.byquana.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. But some of the things that we've just been talking about do, I think, I mean, I watched the Barbara Streisand documentary and she was saying that she totally micromanages her career. Like just everything about it is like under her complete control. And I think that's, that's actually quite a good thing. And again, coming back to the sort of male, female question, men and women, not something that men would be berated for, but women are often somehow uh, judged or c- called controlling, right? Like it's like you, you're, <laughs> they're in charge, whereas when we do it, we're being really controlling. But within your career and everything that we've just talked about, do you find it possible or easy to let other people in to, to it and actually kind of What's that process like for you? Like letting, and I'm not really talking about, because I know you do collab on terms of, in terms of like writing songs, but do you trust anyone else, Paloma, with your creative output? I don't. And I I do have a quite close collaborator, creative director called Theo Adams, who I've known for a long time that I've only recently started working with. And that's the closest to that I've ever come because I think it's to do with the fact that a lot of our influences are similar. So that's the first time. And actually that was good because I started working with them and I'd had my second child and I, was, I wasn't able to be as present because I was like one of the videos was shot when I was like had my cesarean booked and stuff like that. So it was like really great that I found them at that time. But I think that's important in my job anyway, because I think that when we talk about, you know, music careers with longevity, the people who sort of last are those that are obviously authentic. Um, and I think you don't get that authenticity unless you're really, you know, hands on across the board with everything, because then it just looks like a marketing strategy. And that people can smell from a mile off. So I think that it's actually not a bad thing that I micromanage everything. I think people can tell that it's very much from me. And I think that's why I've had a longer term career than a lot of people. 
it comes out of you doesn't it i would completely completely agree with that it's that that your brand for want of a better word and i don't mean it in the in the commercial kind of um marketed way i mean literally your your output all reflects exactly who you are and you are i mean also the other thing that i i really love about you is that you are brutally honest about things in your work in a, in a world where quite a lot of the time people with public profiles are somehow watching what they say or being told to watch what they say or thinking about it. And part of your brand, I'd say, is that you wear your heart on your sleeve, Paloma. I mean, you're just, and and what's really beautiful about it is that it goes with you. So it's not like, well, I said that, so I've got to stick to it. We kind of go through your journey with you in your life while you change your mind about things, but you don't have a filter. I mean, you don't, I, I would say you don't have a filter on things. Would you agree with that? I'd say that I do have a filter, but I just don't have the same inhibitions as most people. So my filter's just different to most people's. But it's not, it's, I, I just feel a little bit more accepting of, stuff I think than most people I think once people once people get to like the bits I've unusual things that make hairs on the back of my neck stick up but I'm quite uninhibited I think I think I think one of the things that I love most about all creative outputs is that and what I'm interested in I think as an artist or as with acting or music is like I'm really into the human condition. A massive bit of the human condition is the fallibility of the human condition. So I think it's okay to have a really strong opinion on Monday and have a different one on Thursday. I think most people feel like they have to be defined by what they put out or what they say, and I don't. I just think, well, I don't need to be defined by that. I can be defined by something different another day because we're all changeable and experience and timing and whether you're hungry or tired affects the way you view things. There are like huge things that you go through life-changing events and there's small things like whether you've had a sandwich or not. But I don't think that matters. And I think that, uh, yeah, I, that's why I don't really like that type of journalism where they, come out and say so and so said this but we found when they said the opposite six years ago it's like <laughs> what loads yeah, happens in six years like no one's allowed to that that sort of like really counterintuitive way of thinking I think you know like does that mean no one can ever repent their sins no one can ever change for the better progress further themselves, access parts of themselves that were dormant or whatever. So I just don't really believe in that. I think it's very restrictive. And and A, you have I mean you've mentioned so much in that, but but significantly as well, age. Like we get to grow up and change the way that we feel about the world and our relationship with the world and those around us. And you actually you know, you've been described as having your children late. You have said that you had your children late, you, you know, and you've just mentioned that now that you, congratulations, you've, you, you've had your two children. I don't know if you want to have more, but you, that was one of the things that you were fighting for in the industry that you said that it's really difficult having children in the music industry. And I would say that 
that struggle that you went through definitely impacted me and the fact that I'm actually a child-free woman because I couldn't work out how I'd make it work. And you fought for those things that you wanted. But sadly, you know, for, for many female musicians, a pregnancy announcement can actually... Can, can, can sometimes mean mean a cancellation of their career. I mean, I think it was in 2016 that they said 77% of women said that they were discriminated against. I'm sure it's even more than that now. And in the entertainment industry where we've got contracts that are actually cancellable within a split second, there's there's very little loyalty, you know. And in the, the interviews, when you talked about it, you've talked about the industry being very male dominated, which I think, is it 97% of producers are male? Is that still true? It's 6% of commercial music, I think, is authored by women. I know that much, but I don't know exactly what the facts are. You have to cross check that. Yeah. I, I in, tw- in 2021, I remember a report coming out that said that 97% of music producers were men. So when you came to have your children within the music industry, did you feel frightened that that you would lose your career? Yeah, but I think that goes across the board most uh, for most women in most careers, um, even ones that you'd think lent themselves to that. I think, you know, women who have babies who are teachers or whatever worry. Um, I think that's unfortunately something that, it's too. It's a two pronged thing. So it's like, how are you going to be treated, but also how are you going to feel? Because you don't know. And so, yes, I do think, and I and I and I have noticed a difference. You know, like the way that I, the way that people speak in a commercial way about um, how to, like, how can you turn this life changing thing into making it marketable? How can we make this thing lucrative? And it's not, it sort of negates the fact that why should you even have to think like that? Why can't you just carry on doing what you've always done? And why do you have to now figure out an angle to make that as appealing or to sustain a career? Um, I find it really bizarre, which leads me to the fact that I do genuinely think that there's no, no female success has ever occurred without it being sort of like intertwined with patriarchal structures or ideas like having to like move and shift according to to remain in an inherently patriarchal system is like by default what happens to women who have children and I do I do think this the difference is tangible like being you know a singer of two my audience changed you know, I am really celebrated by women, but I also find as an actor, I'm always getting scripts that are like to play the role of a pregnant woman or a mother. And it's like, actually, even though I've aged in years, I actually probably look a bit younger today than I did maybe eight years ago when I wasn't getting cast in those roles. But it's just that people can't get it out of their head. They're just like, right, mother, mother, who have we got? Who can we cast as a mother? It's got to be someone. Let's forget the fact that you're an actor, a.k.a. you're pretending to be someone else. 
Like, I could, you know, like, I don't understand why you can't cast a non mother as a mother. Why can't you cast a woman whose mother is like a sort of, I don't know, prostitute, whatever? I don't know, but you don't. You don't. I know, I know <laughs> but even more to the point, when they're casting male roles and when a dad, when a when a male actor becomes a dad, they don't start thinking, let's cast He's him as a dad. dad. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> I mean, there'd be no babies in the world. The men would be like, fuck that. I'm not doing that. I don't know why we put up with it, to be honest with you, Paloma. <laughs> but um, uh, you did say that becoming a mum made you even more ambitious. Is that still true today? Because I think that was after your first. Do you still feel like that today? Yeah, well, I feel more ambitious. I feel more efficient because I also feel like I'm, you know, I've got two daughters and both of them will be watching. And I think it's good for them to see their mum go for it and like have a career that she's passionate about. Um, I do feel like I became more efficient. So what I'm able to do in smaller time frame or I can switch on and off much quicker than I used to be able to like I used to be a bit more whimsical now I'm just like switch it on switch it off I'm writing two hours that's what I've got you know all of that so yes forced boundaries yeah exactly forced boundaries on you so you're one of the things that we have in common is that both of our mothers were feminist. And we recently found out that we were both on like, you know, demonstrations and stuff as children. Which at times I found, I found it, if I'm honest, I mean, I wouldn't have it any other way, but I, I think I did find it quite overwhelming as a child because I was actually quite shy and it didn't really give me the opportunity to be me. You know, somehow or other, it, I'm not knocking it, but it was a weird thing. And so therefore for a while I rebelled against it. You've just expressed feeling a kind of a deep, responsibility to your daughters um and I can really hear in your voice that it's important that it, this is about the the female lineage as well the daughters that are coming through have you ever in your career and in your life have you ever rebelled against kind of have you ever sort of not engaged politically with your work with your ambition has there ever been a moment when you're like actually I just I don't I don't want to be that or has it always been like that for you no, I've always felt responsible, but only with success. So I, as soon as I became public facing, I've always been very aware. I know it's the zeitgeist now, but, you know, everything's all about inclusivity and representation and all of that. But I've been doing that since the beginning because I just think that as a public facing person, you have an opportunity. You have to, to you know, like if, if everyone collectively takes responsibility for planting seeds of change. No one's got to do anything massively big. So I always remember, like, you know, having music videos and there's been several occasions where I've, t- I've asked to see the cast list and it's just been, like, a pure white cast list and I've said, no, nope, not doing that. That's not me. And I would just do that. And it that was 2008. So, like, before, you know, that became a thing and then... I walked on set uh, once for a music video that was for a feature I'd done, so it wasn't mine. So I just had to come and be there, and it was the artist that I'd featured on this video, and it was a room full of women in bikinis and roller skates, and I just turned around and walked out and was like, I'm not doing it. I'm just not doing this. And then they were like, why, why? And I was like, because do you know me? 
Like, I can't condone <laughs> this. Anyway, <laughs> they were like, we've lost the featured artist. Everyone was flapping around. <laughs> I was like, well, we're in Miami. Let's just take to the streets and, like, go and find people in the street. And, like, we ended up making a really good video with loads of people in the street, but I was like, I am not going to stand in a crowd scene with a load of scantily clad women who are just there because sex sells. I just won't do it. So, yes, I've done a lot of that. Um, I've always felt a responsibility. I've never shirked it. I also read scripts like that as well. I'd always be vocal. I'd say to a writer or director if I felt that something was amiss, unless it was, like, important for the character or whatever to be perpetuating those ideas. Also, I've been told quite a lot as a woman that when I do a fight scene, I do it like a a male actor, but I find that weird. Like, I remember doing um, a a fight scene for Pennyworth. Some of the choreography felt a bit girly for me. Like, you pull her hair and then... And I'll be like, no, I'm going to headbutt her. Because <laughs> <laughs> with a small A. <laughs> yeah. I'll be like, I'm going to smash her head into the wall. And they're just like... But you take the frying pan. But I was like, I'm not picking up a frying pan. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in some ways, that, that's, that's helping them along. But walking off a set... Um, for for political purposes because you're not comfortable with women being exposed for the sake of them being exposed do you ever think because I do so I'm just I'm sharing um my my failings but or maybe it's because I've been accused of it but this thing about being difficult you know do you ever think I can't say that because I'm going to be thought of as difficult I hear you that you don't act on it but do you get frightened of it Paloma because I get frightened of it uh no but the reason why it's because I think that I've had to, and I speak, I'm writing about this in my book, I think I've had to develop a way to communicate that is non-threatening. And I think a lot of marginalised communities do that and have been forced to do that because of preconceived ideas. So I think that, you know, it happens in, you know, when people are discriminated against because of the colour of their skin, that people are like, oh, they're a bit uptight automatically and I think with women it happens the same like she's difficult because she's got an opinion and this stuff happens all the time so I think unfortunately I have figured out and developed a way to do it that seems non-confrontational so when I describe the story I would say oh I'm not gonna do it um because I've got this sense of humor that's really set me in good stead I think that I've developed a way to soften these things in a way that mean that I don't really get branded as difficult. And that's something that I've done consciously. I've figured out a language to articulate and get what I want without cementing people's preconceived ideas about me as a woman. Can you can you give for for the listeners who may have struggled with this within their own workplace or or in their family or, or friendship environments? Can you give us an example of a language that you would use? Like what what would, how would, or is it just that you say it with such kind of chutzpah and joie de vie that it's funny, as you said, that it's kind of like, 
it's like that's outrageous i'm so not going to do that and you just sort of you know like so that it's it's so blunt in a i way think sometimes i would go for that like oh my god what are you doing oh my like can we talk about this and i would sort of say stuff like my mum will kill me you know like so people would just think it's sort of playful and a bit childish I can't do that. My mum will kill me. She's a feminist, you know, like that. <laughs> it doesn't seem so intense. Um, right. I just, I'm just so, I'm so visual. I just had this, like, literally, my brain just had this image of a woman at Goldman Sachs with a man trying to make her have sex in the boardroom and her saying, I can't do that. My mum will kill that. me. She's a feminist. <laughs> I think I might struggle as my mum's not here anymore, but I might just start using it anyway. Well, you could say my mum will turn in her grave. (laughs) Good one. Exactly, exactly. So we have we have kind of sort of moved on to talking about your the the acting part of your career. Yeah, what's wrong? Sorry. Normally it's all right. It's actually oh, really perfect timing for my next question. I can't begin to tell you. <laughs> it's like, no, but this is this is the thing. This is what so much of your life's work is about, is that, is that trying to do this. Hello. We can't, can't put her in you. the picture, though, but we can have her voice. It can be on the audio, yeah, for sure. That's fine. But actually, Paloma, no. this is really good timing. And okay. I, and, and I'm, tell me. Uh, well, it's just that I got the sense that, of course, you've always been an actress. You you know, you've been doing drama since you were a kid, but it felt like you made a conscious decision for your mental health and your lifestyle and your income to rev up the acting so that you could have a more balanced life. Would would you agree with that? That's kind of one of the choices that you made? A hundred percent. I feel like um, because of the structure, the acting world, like being Not so collaborative. What, what have you got to say about it? Because it's being so collaborative, um, it didn't feel like everything's resting on me if I did some acting. Because, you know, like, off, do what off. Yeah, it, it felt like, you know, when you, you do an acting job, you get sort of three days in, and then sometimes you get these days where you're booked, but you're not in. That's quite brilliant for a parent because then you're like, I've got these amazing days that I didn't plan for, whereas in music everything's scheduled so much that they don't allow, there isn't much time off. So with acting they might say, oh, you've got, you know, six weeks, but you're blocked and then you don't necessarily go in for all of those days. So you're that gives you time with your children and also like the schedule where you start before they wake up but then you get back before they go to bed is like really nice yeah so so has it had because one of the things that you have talked about is in when you were traveling and away from your daughter and you had postnatal depression which I think you didn't quite realize at the time yeah you did you were brave I feel like it's so brave you did admit that you'd had during that period of postnatal depression some suicidal ideation and would you say that you feel more rooted and grounded today as a woman that and do you feel like you've got a bit more control over your career in a weird way obviously when you're a headline uh, musical artist and pop star and and rock star you're in complete control but do you actually feel like you've got more control over your life now 
I do. I do, I didn't ever feel suicidal, by the way. I just felt very low and I, I lost. You you say it in the documentary, but that's what's amazing about you. That's one of my favourite things about you. Um, I do feel like when you talk about control, as as in control as anyone can be, perhaps um, <laughs> because. I definitely feel that um, I haven't put all my eggs in one basket. And um, I think for a bit, when you first have children, you or your first child or if you have twins or whatever, you kind of like feel like, oh, my God, this is the end of something. But also it's also the beginning of something. And it's the same as any life-changing event, you know, like losing your mother or whatever, you know, divorce menopause in terms of adding to your career um we're running out of time which I'm so sad about but in terms of your career for people that are listening today I mean you know as I've touched on you've you've and you know people can go and read about it but you have been pretty multifaceted since since you very started expressing yourself as a performer from when you were a child you've always done lots of different things do you do you have any kind of advice or suggestions for people listening that are doing one thing and might want to maneuver into another and how to overcome the fears that they might have or the thoughts in their head that make them feel like they can't or how do people how would you unstuck yourself what is your process of unsticking yourself well when you look at when you've got to a point in life where you've had some level of experience you often get to the point where Sometimes things don't work, but then those things that don't work then lead to something foot. else. It's like a football game. Eight People pass the foot. ball. What? Foot. Your foot's got water on it. Sorry. Um, <laughs> so like a football game, you pass the ball and not everything's... I think if you think in those terms of success and failure all the time and it's very black and white thinking, then that's too scary. And so I think for me, like, Nothing was ever achieved without great risks. If you look through your idols or you look through any great moment in history that you admire or any great person you've looked at achieve something, they they didn't do it without risking anything. And I think that it's actually the risk itself that creates any kind of success. That doesn't mean... That it will man that success will manifest in a way that you can like preconceive. I think there have been lots of times in my life where, I mean, for example, I didn't plan to be a pop star. I I just didn't. I didn't plan to be a musician. I just did some stuff because I thought, oh, let's have a go, and it was risky. But I felt like, what have I got to lose, really? Like, I think a lot of these fears that we have are part of a construct of an idea of what success and failure actually means when you rid yourself of those things and then you sort of don't ever really not achieve anything because if I think about the great losses of my life or the great failures or the rejections because there have been so many rejections it's unreal I think oh those led me to this like you know even if in the romantic sense that works like you know you think all of these heart heartaches or moments of my life where I felt that I lost out on a, a great affair. And it's like, well, maybe one day you meet someone that it's great with, but it's not what you expected. I mean, it's like, 
it's essentially that society or social constructs make force us to think we need to lock things down in order to feel safe. But like you said at the beginning of the podcast that you kind of don't really hear no. I I really I think that that the point that you've made is exceptional that essentially we are forced into thinking about failure and success in quite a binary way. And if you look at someone like Kate Blanchett, all we hear about are the movies that are huge successes. She's got other movies that just don't actually function that you just don't ever hear about, you know? And so no matter what your career is, whether you are somebody with a public profile like yours or whether or not you're 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 working as a primary school teacher, it's like it doesn't matter just stop thinking within those patriarchal binary linear terms of where and and then it would explode and it's funny because when I was thinking about interviewing yesterday I was like Paloma's just one of those people that just does it so if I said to you you can't do that your response would be why not why can't I who says I can't do it um Paloma it's been such an honor chatting to you. so nice to speak to you last question what makes your vagina happy today? Caniston. <laughs> and on that note, I'm going to let you go to your three million careers. Go and entertain the world. Thank you so much, Paloma Faith. It's been a pleasure. That was Paloma Faith. I'm Mika Simmons. This is the Happy Vagina Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you next week. And don't forget to like, subscribe, rate and review. It helps others to find us. And follow us on social media at The Happy Vagina. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.